All right, let's jump right into capitalism and socialism and what does the Bible have to say? Uh, the question that we're kind of looking at is, is there one that's more biblical than another? Should we promote them? Um, one or the other is more God's way. Like what's the economy thinking in God's kingdom? Now, of course, I'm going to start in saying I'm not an economist. Um, I'm going to be talking in a lot of ways about things that I don't understand except at a very simple level. But I think that's okay because neither do most of you. And I think that that gives us a chance to be faithful to what is simple and clear in scripture. And we should always start there. Some of you understand financial matters a lot better than I do. And uh, feel free in the conversation with each other to kind of humbly contribute to those things. In fact, please do. Um, remember just a couple of ground rules on these discussions that I'll remind you of. First, we should uh, focus first in these things on ourselves, the church, Christians. Our responsibility is not to make America act Christian, but to live ourselves under the submission to the rule of King Jesus. And I'm optimistic that we can live that way, not the world, uh, but we have the Spirit of God, and so we can. Uh, secondly, we should remember not to speak too loudly about topics that we aren't willing ourselves to get our hands dirty with. It's really easy to talk about what's best for society without being willing to take on personal responsibility. That's super important with this topic. Don't talk about the ideal if you aren't personally actively living into that ideal before you start talking. We'll talk more about that at the end. Um, our primary focus, last thing I want to point out before we jump in, in, in our discussions about these things, is, is not to land on government policies, but to be more like Jesus. That's our goal with all of the ministry of our church. We're not trying to teach a course here on public policy. There are really smart Christians who should get into politics and who should aim for policies that line up with the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us, everyone, how to follow Jesus faithfully. So let's aim at that today. And just a quick warning, as with some of these topics, some of you aren't going to like some of the things that you hear. And I ask you just to be open and be willing to change your mind if Scripture and the Spirit convinces you of something that you didn't once think, okay? Um, first of all, just a couple of definitions before we jump into the scripture. And I needed to really spend a lot of time kind of working through these things, even to wrap my own mind around these economic systems. Definition of capitalism from Merriam-Webster, and give me some grace as I talk about these things, because again, it's not my area of expertise by any means. Merriam-Webster defines capitalism as an economic system characterized by a private or corporate ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market, okay? My paraphrase of that is that it's a system where individual citizens and non-government corporations own things, produce whatever goods and services they want to, however they want to, and they distribute them to basically whoever's willing to pay for them. In short, it's 
everyone makes their own business decisions about their own money and not the government. Okay. Now that doesn't mean in a capitalistic world, the government doesn't have any role in financial matters, but it is more limited to just protecting against unfair economic practices and kind of establishing some rules for businesses and enforcing those rules. A couple of related terms to capitalism is, uh, and don't worry about the semantics, but free market capitalism you might hear or or um, market-driven economics, okay? Socialism, uh, a little harder to define, and there's actually a huge spectrum here, uh, but Merriam-Webster describes socialism as any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and the distribution of goods, okay? My paraphrase of that is the government controls which goods and services are produced, how they are produced, and to whom they and how they are distributed. So in that context, the government has a much more significant role in the economy than with capitalism. Over the spectrum of socialism kind of degrees, uh, the state will own either some or all of the economic processes and either some or all of the property, okay? In communism, which is a, 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 a type of socialism, the government actually owns everything, right? And it's supposedly they own it on behalf of the citizens. In fascism, which is an offshoot of socialism, private individuals can still own property. It's just very restricted on how you can use your own property. And if you have excess income, it kind of automatically goes to the state, okay? Some related terms to socialism are uh, centrally planned economics, um, where you have a, a state planning agency, that's a big term there, uh, determines kind of the operation of the economy. And with socialism and capitalism, these two concepts, there's a lot in between, right? The, the U.S. is generally considered a free market society, capitalist, but there is still some socialization, right? Uh, we pay taxes to fund public schools. And in those schools, the government owns those campuses and the chalkboards and everything else. And it controls, I mean, in large part, the way that they run, right? Um, since the 1930s, we've had socialized programs like social security, right? Welfare, um, minimum wage laws, I think, started back then. So... The questions that we hear about socialism that most commonly currently come up are about education and healthcare. If you're um, aware of those conversations as you kind of watch what's going on around America. So capitalism, socialism, capitalism proponents generally like to think of their way as pro innovation, pro hard work. Um, it's a system where everything is motivated I think even capitalists would say by self-interest, but they would say that self-interest actually also works out to promote the public good. Socialism proponents um, would like to think that uh, they're living by, by giving up a few freedoms, um, we provide a safety net for all, including ourselves. Um, it's built kind of on this idea that everyone deserves a piece of the pie. Capitalism promotes the responsibility of the individual more. It's a more individualistic way of thinking. Socialism produce, promotes the responsibility of, um, of the individual for the community. It's more of a communal way of living. And both, I would say, um, would argue our way is best for society because it's fair. 
fairness kind of being the debated term there, right? So what does scripture teach? Let's jump in. Uh, actually, before we jump in, let me read this quote from Craig Blomberg. He was a huge help in studying this topic. He points out that we as followers of Christ don't care primarily about what works, but what does God require? That's where we stand before the Lord. Not what do we think is going to work so much as what does God require? What works, if you think about it, could always possibly be interrupted by unforeseen circumstances, unintended kind of consequences of what we thought would work. And even if something kind of works out on paper, it may not be God's will. So if you are adamantly against socialism, would you just consider this? The greatest commandment is to love God and to love people, right? To love others. What if, okay, what if that means giving up some of your rights? What if that means giving up some of your freedoms, your property, your profit? If that contributed to loving God and loving people, would you be willing? If that's what God requires, to give up what you deserve, you could say, for the undeserved benefit of others. I think it's distinctively Christian to think less about ourselves and more about others, right? Well, that's not fair, okay, but that's what maybe scripture calls us to in a way, right? If you are adamantly against free market capitalism, well, just what if a free market is actually making life better not only for the rich, but for the poor? Or what if equal outcome isn't God's intended plan? If this is what God requires, then would we be willing to follow regardless of what works? So our question isn't what works, but what does God require? And we can argue for what works all day long, but the Bible tells us what God requires. So let's look at that. Some historical kind of background to the text. Neither model, socialism or capitalism proper, existed in the time of the Bible in a significant way. So we have to start by being very careful not to say that one model is more biblical, quote unquote, than another. Okay, In the Old Testament, uh, in Israel, the form of government, you could say, started as a theocracy, right? A, a God rule. Uh, we see in Exodus through Joshua, where the law was given specifically by God to Moses at Sinai, right? God was ruling. And then there was a period, we could say, of anarchy with the judges, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. But we come to this part in 1 Samuel uh, called the monarchy. And in that, religion and politics, they're really kind of closely intertwined. But you have a monarch who is, is ruling, hopefully, on behalf of God, is the way that uh, Israel had, had been set up to, to do there. That was their world, but run, run by a king, okay? The New Testament form of government, in the New Testament, Rome was right supreme, but um, there were also some Jewish local leaders who were more kind of the religious side of things. And in that first century in Jesus' day, much after the Old Testament Israel, um, we, we know historically that there are some elements of economy kind of taking place. A Jew in Jesus' day, um, some think, would be required to give 30 to 50% of their income in tithes to, to Rome and, and, I'm sorry, tithes to, to um, the, the religious leaders and taxes to Rome. Uh, so the religious institution and the government. 
And um, one other thing to say about historically what was going on in scripture is that at the time, and up until recent centuries, I believe, a lot of people believed in what is called the theory of limited good, okay, which says that there's a finite amount of wealth in the world, or it's called, it's a zero-sum game. So if if some person gets wealthy, then necessarily someone else gets poorer. Okay, that was the view that they had. Like wealth was just this giant pie. And if somebody got a little bit more of the pie, that necessarily means somebody else gets a little bit less. Generally now, economists don't accept that principle anymore. Most now believe that that pie can grow as we innovate, as we expand, um, more wealth becomes available to anyone. So, um, because the Bible doesn't address capitalism or socialism, or that's not the world that they lived in, it doesn't say anything directly about it. We have to learn for, from principles. And so those are the principles I want to bring to your attention now. First, we'll look at some capitalistic-looking principles in the Bible, and then we'll look at some socialistic-looking principles in the Bible, and then maybe some that share and some differences. So first, capitalism or capitalistic kind of ideas that our modern capitalism seems to line up with in Scripture, okay? First, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, private property was a right of individuals, and it was seen as good, and it was owned by an individual. In Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Promised Land is given to the 12 tribes. Um, they were to pass down that property to their descendants, and you could easily argue that God gave them each ownership of part of the land. We also see in the 8th and the 10th commandments that you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife, house, servants, ox, donkey, anything of your neighbor's. Inherent, if you think about it in those commands of don't steal, don't covet, is that people can rightly own property and it's good and you shouldn't take it or want it. Um, another kind of capitalistic uh, principle, maybe, in the Old Testament is, like, as far as I can tell, there was a flat tax for Israel. The, the tithes were 23% approximately of somebody's income. Now, it's not inherent to socialism, but generally the thought in socialism is that the richer you are, the higher percentage you should give, right? That's redistribution of wealth. But that's not how God set up things in Israel to function, okay? In the New Testament, in Acts 5, just mentioned some things we kind of see throughout here. Ananias and Sapphira, remember them? They sell some property and they laid the profit from that property, some of the profit, at the apostles' feet so that the apostles could distribute to anybody who had need. Well, they are rebuked, remember, and, and killed because they lied by keeping part of it for themselves, saying they gave it all. Okay? The, 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 uh, sin was their lying in that. It's pretty clear from Acts chapter 5. In verse 4, Peter to, I believe it's Ananias, makes a private property positive statement. He tells Ananias, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Okay, so it was okay for you to own that. What was not okay was that you lied about it. Um uh, another thing, a lot of times uh, capitalists trying to find things in scripture, they'll talk about the parable of the talents and how they um, invested some and some made more and some made less. And 
I would just say throw that out. A, a lot of those parables that are about economy or about farming or finances, they're not primarily talking about economy. They're talking about other realities and they're just using a, an, a, a known kind of reality like um, they're um, buying and selling trade and everything else that they did. Uh, another thing just to point out is there's nothing in the New Testament anyway that suggests any sort of a state government uh, welfare system. Okay. Also throughout scripture, again, just looking kind of capitalistic ideas, um, is uh, the, the New and Old Testament promote hard work, right? Capitalism is all about hard work. Proverbs in the Old Testament are filled with hardworking principles. Don't be lazy. Work hard, work hard. And then in the New Testament, we see Paul um, in 2 Thessalonians giving, this is like the capitalist favorite passage. Okay, I'll read it to you. Paul says, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right to do that, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, listen, and earn their own living. Literally, in the Greek, that means eat their own bread, okay? Um, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says something kind of similar to be dependent on no one. So very much throughout scripture, hard work is promoted. And if at all possible, don't depend on anybody else. Okay. Um, another thing that we see uh, throughout scripture is that wealth is a blessing from God. You can see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, work your way through a bunch of Old Testament saints. Um, socialists tend to kind of cringe at the idea of, of wealth. They would hate to see some of the wealth of the Israelite kings, but there were many of them who remained godly while they were wealthy. And, and capitalists would point out that was a better time for all of society when the leadership was, was wealthy in Israel. So the godly wealthy. Um, a couple upsides of capitalism is it does tend to kill laziness and laziness is sin. It does tend to foster creativity because ingenuity and risk is kind of rewarded and and creativity is good right it displays who god is and another upside is we know now that we don't live in a zero-sum game and so when wealth is created it can and has lifted the overall standard of living for everyone which we should celebrate if a poor person's life gets better we should be happy about that a couple of downsides, and these are probably obvious, but I'll go ahead and say them, of, of capitalistic thinking and econ economic systems. Greed or materialism is, there. there is a strong uh, propensity for people to head in that direction, sinful people. Um, something about amassing wealth also leads towards kind of a person veering toward oppression. At least the Potential is really strong as wealth kind of takes over your life and your mind. You can read uh, in James chapter 5 uh, that says, Woe to you who are rich um, on the backs of other people, more or less. 
greed and materialism can be reinforced in capitalism. Also, um, there could become very easily an unhealthy view of stewardship. And it, the, the attitude is this word, mine, right? James also tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. We see that uh, same idea all over the book of Ecclesiastes uh, when it comes to hard work and all the good things that we could have. But in capitalism, there's a tendency to say, I think we can all admit, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished, what I've attained. And that is pride, which is sin. Okay. In 1 Corinthians, Paul would say, what, what do you have that you haven't received? Why do you boast as if you haven't received it, right? Another downside of capitalism is, um, is that self-interest is kind of the driver behind that type of economic system. And it's rewarded when you care about yourself. Now, that sounds very different than Philippians 2, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, Okay. I know a question arises, if capitalism is driven by self-interest, yet it provides a good outcome for everyone, or better for everyone to some extent, is it better? Does, does the means justify the ends? And I will just answer that a little bit by saying what I said at the beginning. We're to care less about what works. And what does God require of us? And he requires our obedience in every way, leaving the outcome to him. Okay, just some kind of capitalistic-like principles we see in Scripture. Now some socialistic principles in the Bible. So Old Testament Israel, we'll start there. Uh, remember, when they were in the wilderness, during those years when the manna was being provided by God from heaven, Everyone, if you remember, was to gather exactly what they needed. Not any more, not any less. And presumably, God rained down on the earth the exact right amount of manna for all of the Israelites collectively. And they each got an even share, an even piece of the pie. Then, in the promised land, as people began to produce things, uh, there was developed you know, some different levels of wealth. And the poor were taken care of through the centralized government, if you will, uh, 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 God-driven, as it were, um, and the poor were taken care of through the law. So the poor were those people who'd kind of acquired debts, or they even had to sell themselves into slavery to their fellow Israelites, and there were some mandatory tithes, think of that kind of like our taxes, and every three years those tithes were supposed to meet the needs of the poor which were the Levites, the sojourners, the fatherless, the widows. Um, you also see this law of gleaning, okay? This is a centralized, like God-determined uh, government, if you will, enforced law that you weren't supposed to uh, glean to the edges of your field, right? You're supposed to leave that for the poor and the sojourners. There's also the Sabbath year. Um, every seven years, along with letting the land rest and not kind of working your land, all Israelites were to forgive all debts every seven years. Did you know that? Then every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, not only was all debt forgiven, but all Israelite slaves were set free. That's an, that's an economic move, and it was required every 50 years. Israel didn't always keep that, but it was required along with the seven-year uh, Sabbath. Um, as I was kind of refreshing my understanding of those 
um, the Sabbath and this, the, the year of Jubilee, I was a little bit grieved at my own heart and the hardness of my heart against kind of this uh, recent $10,000 student debt forgiveness idea that I'm not sure if it's gone through or if it's going to go through. Um, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the right idea, but I would say God definitely rejoices and we should too when people are set free from their uh, bondages, be they, be they financial or otherwise. Um, also, and these are kind of socialistic principles that we see in the Old Testament. In the Promised Land, everyone got land except the Levites, but all the 11 other tribes got land. The larger tribes got more land, the smaller tribes got less land, and it didn't matter, listen, it didn't matter how hard you worked for it, and because of the year of Jubilee, it always stayed with your descendants, no matter how lazy they were. It was going to be passed back to your family, always. Okay? Now, I can hear the capitalists saying, well, this was a theocracy, or at least a God-driven monarchy, um, and I agree, we, we don't have that same system. Like they were following rules that were set up not by themselves, corrupt people, but by God. And it's quite different than our government officials, right? A lot of whom don't even acknowledge God. But we have to ask, I think, looking at, at this, if this was God's plan for the nation of Israel, wasn't it a good plan? Can we admit that there's nothing inherently wrong with God's plan? Jump to the New Testament. Very interesting. Paul uses that, that manna framework for his direction for the churches, explaining that one church who has more than they need should give to the church that has less than they need because presumably God has provided exactly enough for his universal church. I really hope that local church fellowship, our, our churches can eventually kind of display that idea among one another. And even with churches that are lacking in, in other countries, that hopefully we can say, well, right now we have more than we need, so we give to you, and maybe the favor will be returned one day, okay? But that's a, that's a New Testament principle within the churches, at least. We see in the New Testament church, there are some collective kind of pots, um, though they're voluntary, but collective pots to help the poor. We see that the collection for the widows in the book of Acts, for the Jerusalem church and a lot of the epistles. Um, and then we get to probably the quintessential example of what it looks like um, to have a form of socialism in scripture. And it's in the book of Acts in chapter two and in chapter four, where Luke says things like, the believers had all things in common. It says in Luke 2, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then later in Acts 4, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Okay, Christian promoters of socialism love this passage. In fact, Karl Marx um, who wrote the Communist Manifesto, it, that work was divided in the two halves from what I understand. I haven't read it, but um, two halves, those halves were taken from those scriptures. Uh, the idea was from each according to his ability to each according to his need. So um, we, we see some of that directly in the book of Acts. I won't go too far down into, into Marxism. But... Um, one thing I think it's important to point out about this uh, in Acts 2 and 4, uh, that um, an opponent 
of socialism. I'll just read what one opponent says and I think is, is brought to light really well here in this statement. He says, socialists, this is somebody who's more against socialism. Socialists highlight descriptions and acts of voluntary, privately orchestrated, local and temporary communalization to prescribe permanent, coerced communism under a distant, godless government. Basically, the argument is that what was happening in the early church is unique. It's not anything like what we have now. Giving and, and wealth redistribution in the New Testament is always in the context of the church and the Christian community. In socialism, the state determines production and distribution. In Acts, the, the religious leaders do, the apostles do. Um, but again, like as in the Old Testament, I think we have to admit that this is ideal. So there's something inherently good in the way people are living in the book, in this first church in the book of Acts. Um, it, the writer is commenting on the generosity of spirit-filled believers that take care of each other at all costs. And how beautiful is that? How much should we long for something like that? And then lastly, um, kind of across the whole Bible, some socialistic ideas. Um, God owns everything more than we own it. I think several scriptures kind of make clear technically, if you want to get real technical, um, there are bukus of passages about looking after the poor and the vulnerable, and, and Christians are absolutely supposed to be generous and care for the needy and feel the responsibility to do that. Um, and just God's example himself, he demonstrates to us a love that is undeserved. He didn't first kind of evaluate to say, hey, are they going to be worthy of the mercy that I'm given? But he gives it generously to us. So some of the upsides of socialism is it can be seen as compassionate. It, it's, it's caring for, because we're thinking communally, it's caring for people who are in difficult circumstances. It's providing safety nets for people who are having a hard time getting by. It certainly seems to be caring for others as more significant than yourselves. I'm saying I'm going to give up some of my rights so that other people can be taken care of, right? That idea comes right out of Paul. Some of the downside of socialism, biblically thinking, um, there's there can be the potential for entitlement is really strong. Proverbs tells us a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay, so. Um, kind of the way I explain things when I'm teaching about biblical stewardship is I say, hey, our attitude, here's what it should be. What's mine is yours, not what you, what's yours is mine, okay? I need to be willing to give up what I have, but I'm not to demand what you have for myself. What's mine is yours, not what's yours is mine, okay? And we try to be especially careful as Christians not to talk about what we deserve and not to be entitled, right? Because we know where that leads. Um, another potential in socialism, uh, and I think we're just trying to be honest about these things. I think people would agree. Put, there's great potential for envy, which is sin. Why do we covet? I mean, you could say this of, of capitalism too, but why do we covet? Because that person over there has more or has better than what I have. And we say, well, that's not fair. Well, that's not Christ-like, okay? Um, so envy is sin. There's also potential for laziness, which is sin. And then lastly, there's, there's potentially a lack of personal accountability. 
from both directions. As a poor person, um, I can potentially choose to be irresponsible because the community is necessarily going to pick me up in a socialistic system. Or a lack of responsibility to the richer who say, well, I just want to kind of be hands off and have no real connection with hurting people because I just kind of want to let the government take care of it and let them get in the weeds on that. Um, now let me jump into some similarities between the two systems. Uh, this comes from Craig Blomberg. Neither system adequately acknowledges the depravity, the, the depth of human depravity and sin that the scriptures teach us remains in all human beings, even redeemed ones. Neither socialism or capitalism can deal with sin. So I think it's safe to say that whoever has the decision-making power in the economy, whether it's an individual or whether it's a group of individuals, so long as they're not God, they will corruptly utilize resources to some extent. How interesting that the sin we primarily worry about in a capitalist society is the greed of the rich, but the sin that we worry primarily about in a socialistic society is the envy of the poor, both of which attitudes, greed and envy, say, I deserve. And anyone who's familiar with Paul knows that his MO is, I don't deserve. And anybody who's familiar with the life of Jesus know that he embodies giving up what he deserved in order to give to others. One of the goals of my life is to make sure you get tired of hearing me quote 2 Corinthians 8, 9 that says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's what Jesus did. And it's literally impossible in capitalism or socialism to emulate that without the spirit of Christ in us directing us. I'll say without going into it, I wish I could, but either system is helped the more Christianity is included into it or the more Christians are participating in that system. I'll, I'll leave that for you to kind of check out historically what's going on with that. And then lastly, some similarity is that neither system can produce biblical stewardship. All right. And that also comes from uh, Craig Blomberg. And I think that kind of speaks for itself. We need the spirit of God to be doing a work in us. Now, lastly, let's look at some kingdom principles those that kind of rise above capitalism or socialism. And I will say I'm super excited about these because these are impossible without Jesus. We have something to show to the secular world around us that is an economy that can blow their minds because they can't accomplish this. First of all, as people of faith, we are called to be extremely generous to those in need. That's a kingdom of God perspective. We give without being required. The Old Testament required and kind of set the standard for giving, but the New Testament goes beyond. It says we should give of our own cheerfulness and free will, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's like the Macedonian churches we read about. Even though they were poor, they were overflowing with generosity. The world gives when they're obligated to. In God's kingdom, we give because we choose to. The world gives when they kind of feel like everyone else is giving their fair share. But in God's kingdom, we give no matter what anyone else gives and probably more than anyone else gives if we truly understand the grace of God. So it's voluntary redistribution of wealth. It's the way that both James and John preaches. James argues it as, as the primary example of saving faith. If a brother or sister asks you for something, if they're poor needing clothes and you say, 
go be warmed and well-fed without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He's saying that's not real faith, that's dead. That's James's quintessential example of genuine faith. Someone else, is, someone else lacks and you voluntarily give them what they need. Okay, John describes genuine Christ-like love when he says, if you have the world's goods, yet you see your brother in need and you close your heart against him, how does the love of God abide in you? And he goes on to say, or before that, he says, we should even be willing to lay down our lives for somebody. I don't have time to develop it, but there is a repeated concept in scripture that God gives some people more and some less so that those with more will give to those with less, that they could both be blessed and that God will give glory. So the sum total of the resources of the world is enough for everyone, more than enough. And we as the people of faith who know this supernaturally generous grace of Jesus are called to recognize this, trust God for our needs, and give extremely generously when we have more than we need. Our leftovers go to those who lack what they need and legitimately cannot get them. Now, practically, we, we kind of try to soften this, but I think the most mature of us will take that to heart. Philippians says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. We've already said that hard work is good in God's eyes, but let's add this, that we work not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. Paul says that in Ephesians 4. There are responsible ways to give that we could talk about, specifically to those who are unable to work, widows, orphan children, sojourners, the sick. And I believe we should start with those who are closest to us. So we could talk about those things, our physical family, our spiritual family, our brother or sister in faith, as those passages say. And we should help with basic needs first. I recommend giving through local churches. But this is all applicable. Being generous is applicable whether the government is caring well for people or not no matter what the economic system that we find ourselves in. The Christian capitalist is happy to give away well beyond what the government takes out of their paycheck. And the Christian socialist gives regardless of if it comes out of their paycheck. So it's fine if you don't want the government so involved, but if they're not, then you still bear responsibility. And it's fine if you want the government more involved, but before they move that way, are you already giving what you're suggesting. There's nothing stopping you. So as people of faith, we're called to be extremely generous to those in need. Finishing up in just a minute. Um, as a people who desire God, we shouldn't desire wealth. I will not be able to go into this. I've run way out of time, but if the Bible talks about taking care of the needy, it talks just as much about running away from uh, chasing after wealth. I could list a hundred passages on that, that we can't serve two masters, but we can't love God and money. How should we think about money? Um, we need to recover, as Craig Blomberg says, a theology of enough. Like Paul, he was content. That was good enough for him. Proverbs says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Jesus repeats something like that when he says in his prayer to the Father, give us this day our daily bread. What if we actually lived in that way? In a capitalistic society where self-interest drives the economy, we always better be checking our hearts to make sure we aren't letting our self-interest control us because that's the opposite of Christ who is, is others-driven. Um, I will say this, we can live faithfully as believers under any economic system. Serving God and not money 
we, we, we live in the kingdom of God, and, and that way completely diffuses capitalistic greed. It completely diffuses socialistic envy. And the last comment that I'll make is just a kingdom of God perspective that we should not chase after wealth, that we should be extremely generous more than anybody else, but that in blessing or in giving comes blessing. You can find that throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Search for those verses on your own. But here's my kind of final tip. Don't worry so much about what the government does or doesn't do before focusing on yourself. I'm not a biblical scholar, especially on this topic, but I know this, that as individuals, we can be faithful to the Lord regardless of if we live in America or Russia. In a socialistic society, there's nothing that keeps you from working hard, being creative, giving more even than the government takes. In a capitalistic society, there's nothing that keeps you from being generous. So no matter what economic system you find yourself in, Think of others above yourself, and God promises you will be blessed.